So we're in the book of Job. And the book of Job, as we all well know, is uh, a book about suffering and the challenges of suffering. And frankly, all of us know those challenges in our own unique form and fashion. Every single one of us has walked through some form of suffering at one time or another. And my question to begin this morning of all of you are, is this, what sort of questions have you asked when you have gone through suffering in the past? What questions have you asked? Anyone have a question that they've ever asked of God? When you've been going through trial? Anyone? What's that? Why? Why? Thank you, Ed. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Why? Why, Lord, am I walking through this? Why do, why do I have to experience this difficulty? Why is my family being challenged in this way? Why would you do that to someone that you love? Why would you do that? Why would you take them away from me? Those are all those sorts of questions that so often come up when we're dealing with our own suffering, with our own burdens, with our own, with our own hurt. What other questions might we ask? Any other questions? When? When? When will this be over? (laughs) I don't know about you, but for seven months, I've been asking that same question. Have you? When will this be over? When can we experience some time of normalcy? When can this pain, this frustration, this challenge, when will they stop? When will this person cease hurting me anymore? Lots of things around when. Any others? How? How How am I supposed to survive this? How am I supposed to do this? And one big question that I think of so often when we're going through trial is, where? Where are you, God? Where is your comfort? Where is your work in me? Where is your presence? In our text today from Job chapter 6 and 7, we're going to be looking a little bit as Job struggles with some of those questions. We're going to wonder along with Job and his friends how God might be answering them and how God might be present in those questions as we dig together into God's word. Let's pray for his presence and his guidance as we learn together. Pray, Father, that Lord, you would be present with us that I might disappear. And in, Lord, your appearance among us, you might speak your words, your words of wisdom, hope, mercy, and life. That in this, Lord, for those of us who are experiencing suffering now, that we might receive some level of comfort or encouragement or what we need right now for the moment. And Lord, for those of us who are not walking through that, that you will equip us that when that time does come, That, Lord, we have what we need to live into your presence, to acknowledge your presence and experience your presence in the big, hard, challenging questions that we face in all of life. We know you're present here. We know you're present wherever it is that your people are worshiping. Father, show us your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
you've certainly noticed by this time that as we walk through the book of Job, we're going to be reading a lot of text, and there's a reason for that, in part because there's so much there that I don't want to miss some of what we can dive into together, but I think it also, there's a flow here. Last week we heard of Eliphaz and his ideas and his thoughts for Job, and if you remember, we talked about Eliphaz offering, what did he offer? He offered sympathy but he didn't offer empathy, and that's the problem. Job's going to respond to that, and so uh, for us to dig into the fullness of the text helps us understand more of, of the flow of the story, the flow of the conversation, but also what we can learn from it. Job chapter 6, the first 13 verses say this. Then Job replied, he's replying to Eliphaz and his words from last week, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No no wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me to let loose his hand and cut off my life, that I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven from me? I don't know if you were coming to church this morning hoping to hear a joyful passage of Scripture, Psalm 148, 149, or 150, but unfortunately, Job is not in that place. He's not in a place of joy. You can hear in his words how much he is struggling. In fact, just this section highlights a couple things. First of all, in verse 2, we hear of Job's misery. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales. He's in a tough spot. But then he continues because he's afraid, right? Verse four, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poisons. God's terrors are marshaled against me. In a sense, Job's almost asking the question, what's gonna happen next, Lord? What you've given, you've done all these things. There have been the pain of losing all that I have, all my servants, all my children, and my health now. What else will you do? He's fearful of that. Not only that, but he's received bad advice. In verse 5 through 7, he addresses that, and he's talking about his friends. In a moment, we're going to touch on his frustration with friends who don't offer him hope. And the final thing, the fourth thing, is that he's feeling like he's at the end of his rope. Verse 11, what strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? You hear those four things, and you certainly have to know Job is in a rough spot. 
and he's doing what so often happens is he's trying to talk it through and he's trying to talk it through with his friends. If, if you can imagine that image that we had last week around the campfire, maybe you've experienced that where you've been in trouble and some friends have gathered around you and maybe it's not been around a campfire, maybe it's been in a coffee shop, maybe it's been in your living room, maybe it's been at your kitchen table where you sit there and lament. I know different times when I've been with um, families who have gathered after death or in a grave illness, there's some of that sitting and trying to process the pain. That's what Job is doing. Now, verses 5 through 7 do something interesting. And if you remember last week, I talked about this whole text being poetry. And if there's poetry, then we need to know how to learn it. Here's these words, and they're interesting, right? They almost seem out of place. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in the sap of the mallow? You read those, and you're trying to figure out what they're saying. But here's what Job is saying there. He's almost giving in a sarcastic comment to his friends. He's saying, you've given me nothing. I wanted grass, but instead you gave me something worthless. I wanted food that I could eat, but you gave me it without salt, no flavor. I refused to eat it. What it was, what it was that Eliphaz offered and what will happen in coming chapters is his friends are giving him something worthless. And you know, if you've ever experienced that sort of experience where your friends have come to you with nothing good or helpful in circumstances, how painful that can be because we long for our friends to come alongside us and be our comfort and encouragement. It just adds to Job's agony. And finally, in verses 11 through 13, the questions begin, right? You see, all of those verses end with question marks. And they're big questions, and they're hard questions. Questions that we have. Can we continue? Do we have the strength? Where are you, God? What is it that's going to happen next? Let's continue verse 14 through 27. Anyone who withholds kindness, kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty... But my brothers is another indictment of his friends. But my brothers as, are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow. But that's stop flowing in the dry seasons and in the heat vanish from their channels. Caravans turn aside from their routes. They go off into the wasteland and perish. The caravans of Tima look for water. The traveling merchants of Sheba look in hope. They are distressed because they had been confident. They arrived there only to be disappointed. Now you have proved to be of no help. See something dreadful and are afraid. Have I ever said give something on my behalf? Pay a ransom for me from your wealth? Deliver me from the hand of the enemy? Rescue me from the clutches of the ruthless? Teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. How painful are honest, your honest words, but what do your arguments prove? Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? You would even cast lots for the fatherless and barter away your friend. It's a whole indictment 
of Job's friends. They've been absolutely, um, it's been useless what it was that Eliphaz says, and as we will see, it continues in subsequent passages. There's nothing good, nothing dependable, that's the word that Job uses, nothing that's helpful for them. Why is it that it's so unhelpful? Here's, I think, something that we can learn from this experience of, of the book of Job. Eliphaz and the friends aren't listening to Job. Hear that. They're not listening. Here's what they think. They think that suffering comes from you having done something wrong. That's what Eliphaz was really saying. You need to repent, Job, because you must have messed up in order for suffering to be like this. They have a wrong understanding of what's going on, like we said last week. They don't know Job chapter 1 and 2. They don't know about the conversation between Satan and God. They don't understand the situation. They're not listening to Job. And the net result of not listening is Job's pain. He's saying, give me something good. Give me something valuable. <clears throat> In essence, what he's saying is, listen to me. Friends, that is something that we need to hear today, isn't it? So much of the conflict in our world comes from us not being, as a people, not being able to listen well to each other, right? We have all these challenges that come. Is it a march or is it a protest, right? Do we go red or do we go blue? How do we think about some of these big challenges? And we get fired up, right? All, of you all you have to do is open up Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or any news media site and see the conflict that comes from people not being able to navigate challenges and conversations and dialogue effectively. Nobody's listening. We're just talking. When somebody else is speaking, all we're doing is reloading, as we've said before. And the challenge is, is that Job shows us, the challenge that Job shows, shows us is the pain that comes from not being heard. What does it mean for us to live into a relationship with a person who thinks differently than us about something? The friends thought differently about suffering. Because they didn't see it in the way that Job understood it, it caused pain. What can we learn in some of the conversations that we face? And frankly, friends, we know over the next two months, all it's going to do is ratchet up, right? That's what's going to happen. Then for us to live into the activity of really listening, how do we do that? Job and his friends, sit down and talk. It took seven days for them to get to conversation. And even then, we're going to have another 20-some chapters of the conversation where people are talking and they're really trying to listen to each other. That's the work that we, as followers of Jesus, can do to listen to each other in pain. There are people who see the Breonna Taylor thing one way and see it another way. And if we could listen to each other, perhaps some of the pain surrounding a tragic circumstance can be alleviated. And it doesn't get ratcheted up and to the point of an explosion, which we so often have, listening well to each other, understanding where each other comes from instead of doing this, 
Ding, 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 ding. Send. This is such a harmful activity in our world. There's part of me that wants to take this, friends, and throw it away. Throw it on the Redlands Boulevard. Church paid for it. I'm not going to do it. But for us to think better about how it is that we live into those disagreements, those challenging conversations so that we can listen, so we don't have somebody saying, I wish you would all end, and you give me nothing dependable. The passage continues, verses 28, verse 28. But now be so kind as to look at me. Would I lie to your face? Relent, do not be unjust. Reconsider, for my integrity is at stake. Is there any wickedness on my lips? Can my mouth not discern malice? Do not mortals have hard service on earth? Are not their days like those of hired laborers, like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired laborer willing, waiting to be paid? So I have been allotted months of futility. Nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O oh God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so one who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Now we've already said his friends don't provide him any comfort. Well, maybe there's another way that Job can get comfort. Maybe if he works hard, so often that happens, right? You pour yourself into your work when things aren't going well in other places. But Job says that his toil is useless, meaningless, actually. And he says it has no value. There is no worthy pay for my toil. And all it does is give me festering blisters on my hands. So not only are his, the comfort of his friends isn't there, but his work in the daytime isn't there. Well, what? Maybe he can get rest at night. No, he can't. Some of you know what that's like, right? How many of you, when things are troubling to you, you lose your sleep first? That's me. My sleep goes away so very quickly. Till three o'clock in the morning, I can be tossing and turning. Been more than a couple nights in my life when things have been hard that all of a sudden I, w I finally wake up in the morning and wonder how many hours, maybe a half an hour, maybe an hour and a half because I'm troubled in my heart. Job feels that troubledness. There is no comfort in his bed. But even still, though the days are meaningless and the nights are hard, his life goes quickly. Why? because it's worth nothing. What does he say there? My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. Job is really hurting. He's really hurting. But here's what we're going to find out in the last portion of the chapter. In his hurt, he's doing something so very valuable and important that we all can learn from. Let's finish the passage. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster, monster of the deep that you put me under guard? 
When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams, terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. Despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you make so much of them? Give them so much attention. Do you examine them every morning and test them every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but no more. So Job's at a breaking point. How do we know that? Look at verse 16. Here's what he says. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Now when we hear that, it should end there, shouldn't it? Leave me alone, God. This is worthless. I hate this. Done. But here's what we learn from Job that is so very important for us to learn from the passage today. Job not only doesn't stop talking, but he doesn't stop talking to God. His lament is in the presence of God. You'll notice even how he addresses that. He, this is all a passage to God. Verse, verse 7 highlights that this whole section is to God. He's lamenting in the presence to God. Here's why this is so very important. Because I see it in my life and I see it in the lives of others. We have trial, we have difficulty, and what do we do? We go to friends and family and we complain and lament. That can be good, can be helpful. I can do that with Kristen. She can do that with me. I can do that with my family and with my friends. That can be really helpful. But if I stop there, then I'm taking my lament only to human help and human presence. And we all know that all of you, all of us, are messed up human beings who can never get it right, huh? And yet, if we can lament in the presence of the creator of the universe who provides all comfort and hope and mercy and grace, if we never stop being in his presence with our words and with our questions, then so much can change for us, friends. I see a whole lot of lamenting on this thing. And frankly, okay, I, I understand, I think a little bit. But don't stop here. Don't end the conversation with God because you think that you need to tell the world about your pain. Close yourself up in a closet or take a walk in the beautiful creation he's given to us. Spend some time in the quiet of, of a car drive or whatever it is and have a conversation in the presence of the only one who can provide comfort in all of your circumstances. Friends, we've oftentimes forgotten that. That if we're going to seek comfort for our sufferings, then we stop in the horizontal relationships of life and we move to having a conversation with God and not stopping it. Job could have stopped it there, but he didn't. He keeps on talking. 
And because he doesn't stop talking, the book continues. We know what happens at the end. It's not a spoiler alert. You've read the book of Job. You know what it's like. But you can't get to the blessing without being in the hard stuff. And the hard stuff in the presence of God is so very important. When I think about this, I think back to my youth ministry days. How many of you have been to a youth camp at some point in your life? Almost all of us, or many of us have. And there's an activity at youth camp, it will sound familiar as soon as I talk about it. Here's what happens. A speaker gets up, or a youth pastor gets up, or a youth leader gets up, and he or she shares something with the group, and in sharing it with the group, they make everyone feel bad about their sin. You ever had that? You feel horrible about all the horrible things that you've done. I haven't treated my parents very well. I haven't, I haven't uh, loved my brothers and my sisters very well. There were all these things that I did that I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have seen these things. I shouldn't have done those things. And at the end of it all, we feel compelled to do something. And here's how youth ministry often works. And, and, and you maybe here's how I'll give you the picture. It's like Job and his friends. You're around a campfire, right? And someone talks, and at the end, they give you a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, you write down all those things that you feel bad about, all those sins that you've committed, all the horrible stuff. And then what do you do? Those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. What do you do? Someone yell it out. Throw it in the fire, right? You throw it in the fire and it gets burned up in the fire of the forgiveness of Jesus. That's the symbolism. Friends, some of us need to get around a campfire and write on some pieces of paper. Mario actually sent me a meme a couple weeks ago. It said this. It was a youth pastor who said, hey, is anyone sat down by a campfire and wrote down COVID and throw it in? Because at this point, I'm willing to try anything. I think it's a great meme. There's power in putting our struggles before God with the expectation that he will meet them. Now, here we hear from Job, and we know in our lives he may not meet them the way that we want him to. We may, he may not meet them when we want him to, but he will meet us because his presence is promised. And when we lament in his presence, not with the world, not just with your friends, not just with your family, but in his presence, he's the one who comes and provides what it is that we need. Maybe not to solve the situation, but maybe to take another breath. Maybe to take another step. Maybe to live another day. Maybe to have one more conversation. Maybe to try reconciliation, try forgiveness one more time. If we do that in his presence, we know we're having a conversation with the one who provides all comfort, hope, life, and grace. God is good. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your presence. May we actively seek out your presence in our difficulty, in our suffering, in our challenges. May we never cease to have conversation with you. Even when we come to the end of our rope like Job, when we want to say we give up, may we never, never cease the conversation. May we never stop seeking you out because you are the only one, the only one who can provide the true comfort that we need, the hope that we need, the love and grace that we need. 
Father, equip us to that end and give us those places and spaces where you call to us, where we hear your voice calling and saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden because I can give you rest. Lord, in Jesus' name, equip us to that end. Amen.